You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You are locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Our Expert Tuesday features our friend Ben Fennell over at The Athletic. Our X's and O's guru to talk about what he thought and what a lot of Packer media thought was Matt LaFleur's best called game as a head coach. Aaron Rodgers praised the plan multiple times in the postgame. So we're going to talk about that, about their evolution this season and, and some of the things that he liked about the defense as well, which obviously is just as important. We know what this offense is capable of, but to get the defense clicking is something that this team really needs two big pieces of news that we're going to get to before that the first and it's not something we're going to dwell on much is Corey Lindsley reportedly out three to six weeks with an MCL strain he is likely to be back before the playoffs the good news for the Green Bay Packers they have Elton Jenkins, who can play anywhere on the offensive line. He's going to be the center for the next few weeks. John Runyon Jr. looks like he's going to slide and be the left guard. Aaron Rodgers called him Mr. Reliable in his press conference following the game. So they clearly feel okay about having JRJ in there. Jenkins, seriously, I mean, I mean this with all sincerity. He can be the best center in football. If that's his future position, and this might be what the Packers offensive line looks like in 2021, he has a chance to be the best center in the league. And I know that there were a lot of fans who wondered, you know, how could they take an interior offensive lineman last year in the draft? And they could have taken A.J. Brown and they could have taken D.K. Metcalf. And of course, you'd like to have those guys, right? It would make this offense more fun. It would make this offense more dynamic. I mean, D.K. Metcalf is coming off an incredible performance on Monday, and he is turning into a hell of a player. But what Elton Jenkins brings to this Packers offensive line has really been invaluable. And it looks like he's going to be a very good player in Green Bay for a very, very long time. The other big piece of news, the Packers are set to sign Tavon Austin, the former Rams first round pick who spent two seasons in 18 and 19 with the Dallas Cowboys, was most recently with the 49ers. So he has some familiarity with the Packers offense, was with Matt LaFleur in 2017. He is not going to come in and be the the makeup first round pick for the Packers. He is not going to come in and be the guy that looked like coming out of West Virginia, he was going to set the league on fire. If you watch just his West Virginia highlights, you would think he is Tyreek Hill. And maybe in another era, 
He could have been. Maybe if you play his career a hundred times and and one of those times he gets Andy Reid or, you know, he's born five years later. I mean, Ben Fennell mentioned this on Twitter that, you know, what if, what if Tavon Austin's career had, had been with Andy Reid and the Chiefs? What if that had been the trajectory? What would that have looked like? Now that said, he is coming to Green Bay to be a kick returner and he is being signed explicitly and specifically to the active roster. This is not a practice squad deal. He's going to be on the team. He is likely going to be the primary returner on Sunday. And even if Tyler Irvin is healthy, that might be your best option because Austin started his career as a, as a primary returner. Of course, he, he did some gadget stuff and has always been that guy. He has scored a touchdown in every year of his NFL career and scored as a return man the first three seasons of his NFL career. Did that a little bit less as his career wore on because he became you know, a more featured part of the offense and then became a more part-time player. If Green Bay is just going to use him like Tyler Irvin, and I think, frankly, he would be an upgrade overall over Tyler Irvin, he can offer some value to this team. And when you go back and think about what Urban was to the Packers last year, he comes in and, and immediately gives you an upgrade on special teams. You know, the, the Packers saw what Darius Shepard did for them in Indianapolis and thought, mm, this is not good enough. You need to go out and you need to get somebody who's going to play these roles with a little bit more uh, dy- dynamic ability, who's going to play these roles with a little bit more uh, uh, confidence-inducing productivity. And, and someone who can give you, you know, a 30-yard return if you need it or can, can break one and, and give you that game-changing play. And more than that, you think about how the, the Packers used Tyler Irvin against the Seahawks. And it was a gadget run here. It was a jet sweep there. It was an end around here. They can do that kind of stuff with Tavon Austin. That's the kind of stuff the last few years Tavon Austin has specialized in. He can still flat out motor. You're talking about a guy with 4-3 speed, legit, real, dirty, nasty, filthy speed. He can still be that guy. So for the Packers, you get a Tyler Irvin backup, someone who if Irvin can't stay healthy and even if he can, can come in and give you Some gadget snaps can give you some jet sweep snaps, even if he's just the motion man. And then you have the returnability. All of that can bring some marginal value to the Packers. This is something we've talked about on this show over and over and over. Turn this roster over on the margins. Even if you're not going to get the Will Fuller, you have a chance to make this team better by adding Tavon Austin. He's better than Darius Shepard. It's a no-brainer he's he's better than Darius Shepard, not even close. Now, speaking of Will Fuller, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but it's worth mentioning. Will Fuller is being suspended for six games for violating the substance policy for performance enhancers in the NFL. The Packers did not know this, presumably, when they decided not to trade for him. That said, it is illustrative of what the Packers were thinking when they decided not to pull the trigger on the Wolf Fuller deal. 
if you can get a contract done, you can give up a second round pick for Will Fuller. Because if he misses six games for a PED suspension, or he misses four games with an ankle injury, and by the way, Will Fuller always misses games, I don't think it's a coincidence that he has his healthiest season as a pro and then gets popped for PEDs, okay? But that part of it aside, if you are getting that guy with some security, and you know, okay, Will Fuller is part of your franchise for the next four years, then an injury or a suspension is not going to hurt you. But if you give up, forget a second round pick, if you give up a third round pick for Will Fuller and he plays, what, two games for you, three games for you, and then gets suspended, you don't even get him for the playoffs, which is what you really wanted him for, think of how embarrassing that is. And then you lose him for nothing. This is what the Packers had in mind. And by the way, they still have the chance. Kenny Stills has cleared waivers. They could still sign Kenny Stills. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, they've already done it. Because if you look around the league and you go, well, where can he find a contender who can also give him a prominent role in the offense? Hey, Green Bay and Seattle really are the, are the big options. And... You know, maybe you look at that Seattle team and you say, okay, well, they don't just have one really good receiver like Green Bay. They have two. Tyler Lockett is is better than Alan Lazard, and, and no one is a bigger Lazard fan than I am. So, to me, the move for Stills is to come to Green Bay. If the Packers can get Tavon Austin and Kenny Stills for basically free, that might be better anyway than bringing in Will Fuller, almost irrespective of price, but certainly at that second or third round cost. Before we get to Ben, let's talk about our friends at Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. All right, let's get to our conversation with Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter, Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Read his work at The Athletic. Ben, thanks for coming back on Locked On Packers. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's been a while to uh, chat some ball here halfway through the season. It is and and has, and that's why you're back. And another reason you're back is what happened on Sunday night. The Green Bay Packers took care of business, at least offensively, with the Chicago Bears, 41-25. And I saw some of this, you know, going around the the blogosphere, uh, the the Twitters, these these various places that this might have been. Matt LaFleur's best called game. It seems like we've said that about him three or four or five times this year. He, he's really put together some remarkable stuff offensively. To you, what has changed from, from last season to this season? Because it does seem like he's taken a, a pretty pronounced step in the, in the way that this offense looks thanks to some of his designs and the way that he's stacking these plays. Yeah, absolutely. I think I uh, tweeted that sentiment about 
about early fourth quarter, just before Chicago put up some cheapy points yeah. uh, and made it a little <laughs> bit of a closer game on paper. But I really wanted to step away and say I thought this was the the best performance from the Green Bay Packers under Matt LaFleur collectively, not just the offensive side of the ball, but yeah. the defensive side of the ball as well, generating turnovers and getting red zone stops and creating points on the other side of the ball. And then obviously the offense moving the ball with strong drives all throughout the night, generating explosive plays while committing to the run game, which I absolutely love to see a pedestrian line from Aaron Rodgers of, you know, just only thrown for a shade over 200 yards, but four touchdowns, but committing to the run game all game long, 39 carries for 182 yards. This was the perfect formula of the Green Bay Packers offense to establish the run early and often, work the play action off of it. And when you can run the ball effectively on early downs, it opens up the entire playbook, even for a couple of those hated second and long runs that seem to be uh, <laughs> on the uh, on the bad side of Twitter and the analytics community. But it's the full deploy of Matt LaFleur's offense in 2020. 2019 was that marriage between the previous regime and making sure to play nice with Rodgers and keeping the things and the schemes and concepts he likes and feels comfortable with. In 2020, it's full systems ahead. I just hit, imagine him hitting the throttle on the jet boat saying, it's full systems go. And that means all the pre-snap motion, all the bunches and stacks, all the commitment to the run game. And then the one aspect I don't think a lot of people in the Packers community pay attention to, or even the Chiefs community for that matter, is how heavy of an RPO-based offense this yeah. is. And what that does it puts defenders in conflict. And I just love that. And that's what I mean by saying offense doesn't have to be so hard. And I think in 2020, we're seeing easy offense. We're seeing defenders in conflict. You're seeing, you know, eye candy and misdirection and lanes formed and guys schemed open. And finally, that kind of sentiment of, you know what, offense doesn't have to be so hard. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to be this play extending magician on every drive to generate an explosive play. And I think it's refreshing. It, it certainly is. And and I wrote about this uh, yesterday for Acme Packing Company that one of the reasons why this offense has been able to take a step without adding significant outside talent is the schemed up stuff is just working better. And and they're being more efficient with the, with the play action, being more effective with the play action. I mean, we saw it last night and, and we've seen it all season. The stuff that they're doing inside the 10, inside the five yard line is just so much more interesting and, and so much easier for Rodgers than when McCarthy would just sort of say, hey, you and Jordy, go figure it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think I love the the versatility of the offense, obviously the diverse personnel groupings. But last night they scored five touchdowns on offense, the five different players. Yeah. And it's not so much about the Jimmys and Joes as it is the X's and O's. And I think whoever you put in some of these spots – are going to generate plays because of the design of the offense. Listen, Robert Tunyon isn't a a world beater in the NFL, or even Alan Lazard and some of those you know second tier playmakers outside of Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. But they're good football players, and they'll show up and perform when their number is called. And I think in combination with a lot of that schematic help, like committing to the run game and moving the launch point and play action and the pre-step motions and the bunches and all that schematic stuff to help the offense and to help players get open and help create space and help create conflict, that's okay. Let's use all that stuff that somehow when other offenses move like that and praising the scheme, 
it's at the detriment to praising players and saying, oh, but look at the system putting those players in positions. It's exciting to see that with the Green Bay Packers because it seems like it's just been pulling teeth for 10 years to get big plays. And it doesn't have to be like that. Well, you know what's so funny about that, Ben, is you talk to coaches even and, you know, you say, oh, well, those offenses, it's, you know, you'll hear phrases like, oh, it's a gimmick offense or, oh, they're benefiting from the the scheme and the system and all that stuff. and, And they're making it easy for the quarterback. It's like. Isn't that what every team should do? Shouldn't you always <laughs> no want to put your your players in the best positions to succeed? It's like Robert Woods isn't a great receiver just because Sean McVay is there. Sean McVay has found ways to unlock Robert Woods in ways that other coaches haven't. And it seems like we're we're starting to see that with Matt LaFleur and and the personnel that this team has. What do you think has been the difference from a, in in the play action game because Rodgers was 27th in passer rating last year on play action. This year he is first with a bullet. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a good question on what's different. I think play action in the schemes and the concepts are actually probably the most consistent from last year to this year. There isn't a whole lot different other than committing more to the run game and just being yep. more effective on those opportunities and taking those shots a little bit more selectively. Uh, And I think that's yielding a higher percentage and a more productive result. Uh, But as far as the pass concepts and the schemes off of play action, it's the same stuff you saw last year. It's the same stuff you see in San Francisco and Los Angeles and any of these offenses that are built in the outside zone play action kind of scheme. Uh, You see the same pass concepts. It's just, I think Aaron Rodgers playing that much more efficient, that much more within the timing, rhythm, structure of the plays. And that goes for play action, too. And I yeah. think a lot of people think that's just the straight drop back, Aaron Rodgers. Play action as well. And I think his willingness to get the ball out underneath and let the guys run after catch or maybe hitting that over route or making more decisive decisions with his arm is what we're seeing in 2020. Less play extension, less scrambling, and more commitment to getting the ball out of his hands and being a pocket passing when he's in the pocket, occasionally they're going to move the launch point, but a distributor. And he still has the most gifted right arm on the planet. And I just love him seeing being that distributing quarterback that I know he can be. You know, we'll play last night, and this is not something that that is going to be in the highlights. It's not something that's going to you know, dazzle anyone when you put the clip up on Twitter. There was a play yesterday where they run that boot action that they run like five times a game. And he checked the he checked the backside. They have a little inbreaker on the backside. He checked it. He knew he had Tanyan right there for a couple yards. Knew it wasn't a big play. Checked the backside. It's not there. Rather than wait and wait and wait, once he checked, dumped the ball off. It's five yards, and you play for the next down. I think we've just been seeing more willingness for him to to go through his progressions faster and solve issues with his arm and not his legs. Yeah. And as you get older and more experienced in the NFL, you don't hold the ball longer. And I think that's the philosophical conflict of Aaron Rodgers from 33, 34, 35 years old as he's getting older, coming off of a pretty serious knee injury. Those types of players don't hang on to the ball longer and longer. And any of these quarterbacks that had success late in their career, whether it's Breeze or Brady or Peyton or Kurt Warner or whoever, they all play from the pocket. And they win with experience and they win with their minds and they slice and dice with their arms because they know 
no defense can cover everything. There's a vulnerability, and I'm going to find it. And I think Aaron Rodgers is just so much more willing to play within structure and you know trust the offense and trust these players around him. Yeah, he he compliments the plan every week. It seems, and it seems like he and Matt Lafleur are really in sync in ways that you know you watch that Chiefs game. We know that that Reed and Mahomes are in sync, but but someone like Tom Brady, who you mentioned, he is holding the ball longer this year, and it's hurt that offense. It's hurt him. No question. And yep. he just doesn't look comfortable doing it because he doesn't want to take shots. I want to I want to switch gears uh, defensively because, um, you know, this has been part of the discussion all year. It seems like it's been part of the discussion for all of Aaron Rodgers career here. What did you see last night defensively um, that you liked early on, you know, before, you know, the 15 points in the fourth quarter? Because I agree with you. I think the defense played outside of that that Montgomery run played pretty well for three quarters yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the nature of Mike Pettin's defense. You want to prevent the big plays over the top and be opportunistic. And I think last night, that's what they did. They had the one big run early on because they were misaligned, but they ended up getting, you know, a couple red zone stops, a couple of those interceptions, two by Darnell Savage, you know, the sack fumble touchdown. You see the opportunistic defense preventing the big plays, buckling down in the red zone. And that's the formula. And I know a lot of Packers fans don't always agree with that formula and, you know, maybe allowing the underneath stuff to be completed and try to rally and tackle. This is a fan base in a, at a defense that came from the Dom Capers era where we had routinely coverage busts and confusion and big yeah, plays over the top. True. We're not seeing that from Mike Pettin. Teams may dink and dunk us down the field, but it's a slow bleed down the field. And I think that formula will generally yield enough results to win ball games. And last night, you generated the turnovers. You prevented the big plays. You got some points. Offense was obviously you know, lighting up the scoreboard. It's just refreshing to see and to see them lose four games last year anytime the opponent scored 25. Seems like this Packers team in 2020 can win the shootouts and win these 30- and 40-point games that seemingly the Chiefs have every week. And occasionally <laughs> the Chiefs' defense had some issues. Nobody cares when they allow 35 points because they put up 45 and 50. (laughs) And I kind of allude a little bit more towards that style of saying, you know what? The defense is going to light up some, give up some plays, light up the scoreboard on the other side. And I don't think anybody thinks twice about it. Yeah. This is, this has become sort of the, the drumbeat of, of a lot of Packer fans and, and Packer media people, myself included, that the best run defense, such that that's a problem for Green Bay, can be that. The Packers score enough points that other teams just can't commit to the run. And then, hey, all of a sudden now you've got this pass rush that can get after quarterbacks. Right into their hands. Exactly. Yep. You got the pass rushers and the sub package defensive backs. And it's amazing that they're sitting here at eight and three and clicking and minimal contributions from draft picks, minimal Incredible. contributions from free agents. I mean, Outside of John Runyon the last two weeks, stepping in at left guard and a couple games of Christian Kirksey, who missed half the season. I don't know who on the outside, outside of, uh, you know, 2019 has really contributed to this team. You know, maybe Tyler Irvin is jet motions. But, you know, Pete, that type of role, that jet motion role, can have anybody do yeah. that. It's really a, a fixture of scheme and a schematic element than a imposing personal player element. Um, it does seem really like Matt LaFleur, though, like without Irvin, decided, I, I don't know if we have the right guy for this because it seemed like they went away from it. And then the last two weeks with Irvin out, they just said, you know what? We can literally just have anyone do this. And all of a sudden last night we saw 
basically every receiver that was out there, including some of Devontae Adams running that just to create some of that that misdirection and that eye candy. And, and in its essence, in it's this human form. It makes defenders think. Yeah. And anytime you force players to think, that means there's a mental hesitation. There's then a physical hesitation. Why not use that? It's just it forces defenders to think. It forces them an extra count to read. And then if you do get an eye violation or someone to take a bad step, now you have a big play on you. And uh, whether it's MVS or Devante or St. Brown or Lazard or, you know, the incumbent Tyler Irvin, there's a number of guys that can simply run laterally or horizontally pre-snap. One of the stars from Sunday's game, Darnell Savage, if you look at his his pro football focus grade, is one of the highest grades I've ever seen anyone get. The, the two interceptions uh, were were great plays, even if you are just like, oh, yeah, Mitch Trubisky made bad reads. Charles Woodson famously said, if you catch all the ones they throw to you, you're going to lead the league in interceptions. Mm-hmm. You have to be in position to make those plays. It seems like Mike Patton is using Savage differently the last few weeks, really the last month. And it's really improved his game. It's improved his playmaking. What have you seen there? Yeah, definitely. I think he's at his best when he's used closer to the line of scrimmage and more of an attacking sense. So that's the robber rolls where he's shooting into the middle of the field to take away in-breakers. We saw him create a turnover last year against Minnesota. One of his biggest plays as a rookie has made a couple splash plays this year in that similar role. Also the run blitzing and just incorporating into the backfield, letting him go from A to B in a linear fashion, Let's him just play faster. He's not thinking on the fly out there. You're given a segmented role. It's not so much of a read as much as a uh, intended direction as a defensive player. Just seemed like the game was moving too fast for him. Anytime he had to think on the back end or make a read, he was either late, confused, taking a bad step. So it's interesting to see both his picks last week came in very interesting uses. So his first one, he actually took a bad step but had to take a center field speed turn back around. You saw the acceleration. He's a fast player. Mitch Trubisky should not have thrown that ball. The guy in man coverage was on the receiver's hip. Then the free safety over the top was able to make the play. But his second interception, he was in that robber role and actually abandoned his robber responsibility to drift back on a deeper route. So I'd be interested to hear the conversation in the film room Mm -hmm. about the intent on that play and if that was actually what they would want him to do. I know he made the play, which is great, but as far as freelancing responsibility, that one I think is going to be a little bit of a deeper conversation. But at the end of the day, two interceptions, impact plays from a young player that needs that confidence. Now the next step, Pete? Start stacking those, start stacking those wins, start stacking those performances. You got a good one, Savage. Now let's build on that. Let's put together two solid performances, then three. That's kind of the next step for a lot of these young players, whether it's him or even Rashawn Gary. You know, start stacking these quality performances. Absolutely. Mike McCarthy may not be in the building anymore, but they still want to stack success. No question about it. And and you're right about the the savage play. Knowing Mike Patton, though, and his attitude on this stuff, it, it seems like his his view on it is if you're going to if you're going to freelance, you can do that, but you better make the play. And then they've they've empowered Zadarius Smith to shoot gaps and and be wrong because when he's right, it's impactful. Uh, Jair Alexander had that, uh, you know, the the safety off a play where he was wrong. If if Mitch Trubisky reads that out, it's an inbreaker to Allen Robinson. It's a big play. 
And yeah, you know, it's funny because well, one of the biggest playmakers in college football coming out of the uh, the in the draft this year is Andre Cisco at Syracuse mm-hmm. makes a ton of big plays, complete freelancer, gives up a lot of big plays, but it's that kind of cat and mouse on. Are you making enough impact plays for everybody to forget about those plays? Maybe you left your assignment or you had a coverage bust. And I think that's where Savage just needs to, you know, start stacking some more impact plays and then subtly. We forget about that missed tackle on the back end, right. or maybe a coverage bust, but definitely how they're using him is putting him in better positions to be successful. A Syracuse football reference on the podcast. I absolutely love to see it. Uh, <laughs> let's finish up with this, Ben. Uh, Rashawn Gary, his development, and you mentioned him earlier, he and, and Preston Smith essentially split snaps, and, and they do share the field occasionally, but in terms of total snaps, they were about identical on Sunday Rashawn Gary had a, a holding call he drew where he absolutely dump trucked Charles Leno Jr. <laughs> he seems to be playing in in such a, a different level of confidence this year because he has taken your advice. He stopped trying to run the loop and he started to just run through guys. And all of a sudden he looks like an impact pass rusher. Well, he's an explosive player. He's a strong player. He's not a finesse player. No. And he's a little stiff hip, stiff in the lower half. I'm not sure he's ever going to be able to corner the top of rushes, which is the ability to win high side on speed rushes like you see the flexible Von Millers of the world. I want more power rushes, more inside moves, more speed to power, and I think this is going to benefit him. That's more of a direct A to B path, so your your intent in attacking the quarterback is just a shorter route. And I think it just plays to his skill set better of being a stout, strong player you know, someone that can go through a tackle rather than around tackles. So I think these inside moves, the power moves, one thing Rashawn Gary can always do is play with effort, intensity, mm-hmm. hustle, the motor. You know he can do that. But a lot of those high side rushes that he was missing on was putting himself out of the play by being too far past the quarterback. More of these power rushes, inside moves, the flattening once he gets to the quarterback's depth, the retracing. Just putting himself in the in the play more to make some of those plays and hustle or late in the down. He's putting himself in better positions to contribute and make more plays, whether on the quarterback or just hustling to the football. And I think that's kind of the next step with him is just putting him in better positions to make more plays on the field. And I love seeing the power rushes, the inside moves the stunts and twists, maybe lining him up at three tech on occasion as well. He's an athletic player. I think his best football is still ahead of him. Yeah, it's not hard to see why someone like Mike Smith just absolutely loves this kid because he's a really hard worker. And and as you said, he always plays hard. You are going to get max effort from him every play, even if he does make a mistake, even if he you know, d- does over pursue the quarterback on a rush or something like that. He's still going to work back if he can. And, 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 and Pete, just to cut you off really fast, yeah. I think that that alone, in my opinion, is the major reason why he should get more snaps than Preston Smith. Yeah. Because while Preston, obviously, we should not have a 265-pound defensive end out in coverage. We understand <laughs> he, that's not his strong suit. Right. We know he doesn't have a whole lot of pass rush moves and abilities, more of a power rusher. But he does not play with good effort and intensity or has not for the majority of 2020. So that's where it wears on me and saying, you know what? I could get younger players in here that are going to give me better effort and intensity and hustle to the football. I need that. 
then we can work on all the other stuff. But if you're not covering well, you're not rushing the passer well, and you're not playing with a good uh, effort and intensity, suddenly your playtime is going to get cut for the younger guys. And you know what I love? Matt LaFleur's willingness and empowering his coaches to say, I don't care how much you're getting paid. You better give effort. You better produce. Because if you don't, we'll put someone on the field who does. And that's exactly what we saw on Sunday. And guess what? Preston Smith had his best game of the season by far. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that works out, yeah, right? Exactly. And it's also funny how it works out. His position coach pretty much called him out last yep. week. Which actually made me sit up in the chair a little bit because he straight said, I think it was Mike Smith, said he is not rushing the way we want. And then made a couple comments about size and weight. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of made me look at Preston Smith's body, who's always been a heavy end. He's always a bit of on the doughy side. Starting to maybe look at maybe he is a, you know, a couple LBs heavy this year. Maybe he is 5'10 pounds into that 275 range, and he should be around 260. You know, that's all the very subtleties of player and body development. And 5 or 10 pounds can really change a, a trench player from being just maybe a step sh- a step slower. Especially when you're someone who relies on snap jumping the way Preston Smith does. No question. And I, when I went back and looked at a lot of his production last year, I wanted to see in a snapshot, how was he winning last year? And when you go back and see a lot of that was snap jumping, snap timing, which is a great trait to have. But that's not the way you win pass rushes. That's not a pass rush move. It's a way to disrupt. It's a way to be effective and create production. But it's not really doesn't make you a good pass rusher. And anytime we see that in college, typically that starts to kind of dwindle when you get to the next level because it's not a move. It's not a hand usage. It's not flexibility. It's not power. All that stuff where you need to beat another player in hand to hand combat. It's really more of that first step and just timing and jumping the snap, which is great to have. But it's not something that should be relied upon in producing quarterback pressure on a down-to-down basis. Absolutely, Ben. Always appreciate your insight. We could just—I could do another hour with you, uh, and and uh, we'll we'll have to get you back on, especially because we're going to get looks like we're going to get playoff football in Green Bay. Well, I certainly hope so. It's been a long 2020. <laughs> They're eight and three, sitting and sitting pretty first place in the NFC North. Uh, I'm I'm hoping we're going to have a couple extra games in January. Sounds good, Ben. We'll talk soon. Take care, Pete. All right. I want to thank Ben again for joining the program. Always great to talk to him. One of the best football minds uh, uh, doing this in the media. He understands the X's and O's. And I think he does a great job of breaking them down in a way that makes it understandable for the audience. Before we finish up, let's talk about our friends at Built Go. Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink, but the energy is not fake. It's lasting and natural. When you get to that two o'clock, that three o'clock plateau, let Built Go help you break through your wall. It might be a mental wall, it might be a physical wall. Built Go can help you get there with a one and a half ounce energy pack to power you through the rest of your day. Put it in your briefcase for your most focused presentation ever. Put it in your golf bag to power through the back nine or put it in your pocket just to get you through the day. It's like a five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for your body. Visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. Zao, you doing? Crossover Thursday, Packers-Eagles on Sunday. Packers better than a touchdown favorite in a game 
that everyone is going to be picking them to win. The Eagles looked absolutely dreadful on Monday night against the Seahawks. Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts. We'll see what the situation is as we go through the week. It turns out Jalen Hurts did not play nearly as much as as the Philly made it seem like he would. But who knows what can happen between now and then. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find a Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that. 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.